Okay. This meeting is being recorded. All right, so we're gonna talk about the orphan spirit tonight. And again, as we teach this, there are things that we need to know. The first thing we need to know is that this is not bashing the teachings on this topic. This is not about that at all. This is about the idea that we still believe that somehow we're orphans. Does that, that, uh, does that make sense to you guys? I just wanna get an amen as we move forward. Because if we enter the kingdom, there are some things we need to be able to reconcile and recognize in the midst of this. And I believe the hindrance to a lot of us is sometimes the terminology we use, but we're gonna do some healing things tonight. So it's not just about information. I just really believe God has me teaching about healing and breakthrough. And I'm going to do that because I haven't done that so much in the conservatory since we've been meeting virtually. But I tell you, I've done it extensively in my life. So um, I've taught on different things, but I want to give you just some minor background real quick. I was a part of um, a ministry with my former pastor and my former mentor. I have to name them, Pastor Eddie Mason and um, Prophet Bev Gamalo. And those, those two people were instrumental in introducing me to um, new terminology. They didn't use um, words like orphan spirit or Jezebel, or they didn't use any of those things that bring us into the spooky realm, the, the realm of the chase the devil, the realm of the I'm going in the enemy camps, I'm mapping the devil. They stayed clear out of that kind of stuff because the environment that I grew up in was the exact opposite. I grew up in the environment where there was such a preoccupation with the devil that you could forget God, that you would be everything you see, you're seeing darkness. You see that spirit on her? Look at how her eyes look. I mean, I'm telling you, those are the kinds of things that I was enduring at every turn when I began to dig into healing when I was brought into the understanding of the prophetic. It never quite sat right with me. I never could understand why Christians were so powerless and why every Sunday was a spiritual warfare session and all we were doing. And then sometimes in those ministries, there were only five or six people. So I couldn't understand what, what, what they were fighting against. It just made no sense to me who could possibly be coming against you because obviously not that many people even know that this ministry exists. So I was, I was overwhelmed by some of the things that I was experiencing. So I'm just being honest um, with the way I was thinking back then so that you'll know where I'm coming from. But the other thing that I grew up in in the spirit was everything was a spirit, a spirit of this, spirit of glutton, a spirit of, uh, of the orphan, a spirit of lust. I mean, by the time I was go moving into maturity, I was completely spooked out. I mean, everything was from this realm, absolutely everything. And then, you know, when I left that particular ministry and that type of saturation, I had the opportunity to begin to study God for myself. I was able to come out from under that. My ears started unclogging. I just started hearing differently. And then when it came to a point where I knew I couldn't take myself any further, I began crying out to the Lord, I need help. I can't go back to where I was. I don't have the terminology. So we're talking 2007, 2008, 
when I hit rock bottom in my spiritual quest. And I left the church in 2005. I want you guys to know that. I left what I understood to be an organized church in 2005. So I'm not telling you to do that. Everybody's de destiny, everybody's purpose is different. But I had to, for me, I had to clear up these. I had to get everybody out of my ear. I had to get all of that stuff off of me and begin to read the Bible and just throw myself into immersion. And then God began to reunite me and connect me with other people. So I've been there. Everybody's coming from somewhere. And I want you to know that this is not a bastard church message. That's not my style. That's not what I do. And there's truth in absolutely everything that we are hearing. It's just that some of us need to refocus our eyes on Jesus. And that's what this is about tonight, because I want you to know that the Bible does not teach an orphan spirit. The Bible does not teach that. However, and hear me in the spirit, however, I understand that that is a terminology given that groups a certain type of behavior and belief system together that they believe that people believe emotionally explains what it's like and what people deal with when they have gone without a, a mother or a father or where they've been abandoned or left aside. I'm gonna say it in a different way because I wrote it down. So the term orphan spirit is used to describe a feeling of abandonment, loneliness, and a lack of belonging that some individuals may experience. This feeling is often associated with the idea of being an orphan, which in the Bible refers to someone who has lost their parents or have been separated from them. Are you with me on just that part? So the idea and the concept that comes behind that phrase is very accurate. There's nothing wrong with the understanding and the concept that that presents. What we're addressing tonight is the need to change our language because we're, we're, when we say she has an orphan spirit or he has an orphan spirit, that declaration is incorrect, right? And we'll talk about why in a minute. I just wanna walk through this because I, I don't know why, but I've never used that term. I don't use half the terms that people use in the faith and I never have. And I, I don't know why that never stuck. I don't know why I'm not walking around talking about a spirit of lust and a spirit of this and a spirit. A lot of these things that we're dealing with are behaviors, attitudes, mindsets. You know, they're not really um, a, a, a demon of glutton running around, chasing you down, making you eat. You know, they're, 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 it, those kinds of things we have to get to the bottom of by realizing what the Bible really teaches us about our own behavior and our own heart condition and how the power of decision has to be elevated in the body of Christ so we can choose the right way, right? You will find more scriptures on choice, more scriptures on decision, more scriptures on you turning away from Genesis to Revelation than you ever will about demon possession. And for me and for the conservatory, that means one thing. That means Teresa has to look at how to deal with her own behavior. Even the Bible tells us a man is only drawn away by the lust of his flesh. 
The Bible tells us, so a man thinketh, so is he. The Bible tells us, choose this day whom you will serve. The God of, are you following me? I can go on and on and on and on and on with scripture after scripture after scripture of those kinds of declarations that we are given. Even the old covenant and the new covenant, the Bible always describes wickedness as the evil of a man's heart, right? He never scapegoats wickedness or the choice to do evil with, and hear me in the spirit, with something jumping on you and making you do it. So I just want to put that out there. Does that mean we can't, can we still be demonically influenced? Of course, of course we can. Are there people who have strongholds that are really spirits that need casting out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, we can't, we can't negate what Jesus said. But before I go further, I want you to know that we need to spend more time trying to figure out what is people stuff versus what is darkness, what is the devil, what is really an evil spirit. Because listen, at the end of the day, 90% of our problem is going to be us. And I will tell you that most people aren't doing enough to be attacked the way they claim that they are. If we want to see real attack, we need to go and study the apostles. We need to look at the life of Jesus. We need to look at what the martyrs, the book of martyrs, we need to go and, I mean, we need to look at that kind of stuff because some of the stuff that we claim is the devil is just people. And we'll go into this more later on when we have more time. But I promise you, you'll sleep better and you'll be more appreciative when you realize everything is not a spirit. So even if people know it's not a spirit, they're still using the terminology. So that terminology evokes a whole belief system, right? So if we change the language, you can change the belief system. That is the premise of teaching on this tonight. I'm not doing anything else. You know, there are no people in the new covenant that have demon ministries. You can't find one apostle who was assigned to go into the enemy's camp, not one. I want us to know the word so that when we know what people are teaching, we'll see. So a, a simple question could be, how is me grouping demons and uh, is going to help me in being light in the earth? Just ask that question because we're here to increase the kingdom. So if I feel like that's my ministry, we have to ask ourselves, does God give me a ministry that's concerned with watching a devil that Jesus defeated? Why wasn't Jesus concerned with these things? So if this easily offends you, I, you know, this may not be the night for you to join our Bible study, but I'm giving you some ideas on, on things that you need to take back to the drawing board and study because, you know, people do a lot of things that Jesus never did. And Jesus's example is still relevant, why? Because his whole idea and concept is to bring us into his mind so that we can live in the kind of authority that he had so that we don't have to strive the way some of these teachings create the atmosphere 
for striving. True authority is the mind of Christ operating in you at its full measure. Demon, go. Peace, be still. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every, are you following me? It's all you have to do is send your word. And I know we're trying to get you into that place, not into the place where you have to continuously work and work and work and exert and exert and exert and fight and fight and fight and fight. How can we get to this place? Even in our brokenness, even in our brokenness. The term orphan spirit is also used to describe a spiritual condition in which an individual feels disconnected from God and lacks a sense of spiritual guidance and support. This condition can lead to a feeling of hopelessness and despair as the individual struggles to find meaning and purpose in life. I'm not reading from anybody else's notes. These are my own notes, things that I worked on today. I'm not reading from anybody's book. I'm actually drawing from things that I was taught early on. Well, not early on, because early on, all I knew was demonology and deliverance ministry. But, you know, the Christian faith teaches us in, in this whole orphan mindset that all of these behaviors, the abandonment, the hopelessness, that all of those things are an orphan spirit. But, you know, I was taught that all of those things meant, Teresa, that you need to know the love of God. That's what I was taught. It meant that I needed an identity in Christ. It meant that I needed a sense of self. It meant that I needed to know my true self. You're gonna hear some terminology you'll probably never hear in a deliverance course. We're gonna talk about sense of self tonight. We're gonna talk about your true self. We're gonna talk about identity in Christ. These are not new age terms. These are just, terminologies and insight that brings us out of, oh my God, I gotta wait to God deliver me. No, you need to act. So these terms will help us figure out what the role we play, right? As opposed to waiting on a deliverer that has already come. On Sunday, we talked about something so powerful, I think. And we talked about the realization that living water is on the inside of us that we have rivers of living water. I mean, are we still waiting on the water to come or are we going to accept that we have a river here and we need, and the, and the true work is figuring out how that water is going to what? Be activated over and over and over and over again in us. So that's the posture that we take with living water. With living water. I wanna, I wanna just read this to you. Hold on, let me. I'm just gonna read the scripture. I was gonna share the screen. I'm not gonna do that. We're gonna, um, well, maybe I do need to, hold on. Let me find out where, let's see if I'm not, here's my screen. If you can't hear me, cause sometimes I do things and it didn't work out, but we're gonna look at Ephesians one real quick. I'm a scripture person, y'all know that, super scripture. 
and we have a whole camp of people that don't think you need the scripture. They forget that Jesus is the living word. They forget that he is the word made fresh, that flesh, they forget that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. They forget all of that for their dreams, their visions and whatever the weird impressions are that a lot of people have. So you have to still lay everything around, around the word because Jesus is the word, he's the word. To know him is to know his word. So we're gonna just take a minute and look at um, Ephesians 1. I know you can hear me now. I'm gonna try it again. Well, no, we're not gonna waste any time. I'm just gonna abandon it. It can be done. I did it earlier. I just don't know how because my particular Zoom is, is showing up a little different. But listen to this. If you have your Bibles, you all know how I am. I love for you to have your physical Bibles. Turn to Ephesians 1 and just look at one scripture. Y'all know me. If I had my whole Bible open, I'll have you reading the whole thing. Look, I'm gonna have to have, I'm gonna have to read the whole thing. I can't help it. So I want you to read with me Ephesians 1. And we're gonna start with verse three. And it says, blessed and worthy. I'm reading from the Amplified, but you don't have to. It says, blessed and worthy of praise. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ. Just as in his love, he chose us in Christ, actually selected us for himself as his own before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy, that is consecrated, set apart for him, purpose-driven and blameless in his life. He predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself Listen, as his own children through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the kind intention and good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace and favor, which he so freely bestowed on us and his beloved son, Jesus Christ. See, this is the revelation here. If you were convicted in your spirit and you felt this, overwhelming desire that I want to be saved. You confessed with your mouth. You believed with your heart. Guess what happened? You were adopted immediately. You were adopted immediately. Boom, no more orphan. So when people in the faith, girl, you got an orphan spirit. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need to start rebuking those things because it's contrary to what God has said. What is really happening in those moments when I feel that when people are telling me that, it's telling me that I'm saved now, I'm getting ready to know who I really am. Oh my God, I'm getting ready to know that I'm among the beloved, that I am a king, that I'm a priest, that I'm a son, a daughter of God. I'm getting ready to come into the truth of who I am, but what I'm not is an orphan. Can we agree here? Are you all able to follow? I want you to type in this thing or say out loud where you are that I am not an orphan. 
I do not have an orphan spirit. I may have some brokenness running on the inside of me, but I am not an orphan. I'm a part of the beloved. I belong to the beloved now. If you don't even know that to be true, you better speak it because that's how the mind of Christ operates. Change your language. It is straight up heresy for anyone to tell me that I am an orphan. Now, this is a side note. This is one of the problems that I have with the spiritual fathering teaching. It's not that we don't need fathers and mothers in the faith. I believe that. But to tell me that I must have one and it must be you is something the Bible does not teach. Are you following? So for someone to call me a bastard, it doesn't make any sense. I want you to just logically think of that if I'm adopted. If there's no male or female, Jew or Gentile, and we worship in spirit and in truth, why isn't spirit and truth inclusive of I am a daughter of the king? That doesn't mean we don't need guidance and accountability, father figures and mothers. Don't leave here saying that I said that. Are you understanding me? Dr. K is my spiritual mother, right? But she doesn't supersede God, right? Are you, are you following? I want us to kind of decipher the things that people put in place versus what Jesus put in place. I'm saying Jesus because Jesus is the author of the better covenant. We thank God for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that was a different release. If that was enough, we would not have needed the resurrection. I wanna make sure there's no confusion. If you have anything that's bothering you so far about what I taught, I'm, I'm very transparent in my teachings. I don't mind you asking me questions. I don't mind you disagreeing and telling me why, but I'm not going to change my opinion. <laughs> but you're welcome to share because we're Bible study. Everything we do in the conservatory is about understanding. And all you're getting, get understanding. Because when we have understanding, we won't be blown away by every wind of doctrine. We won't be intimidated because the 90% is going one way and the 10% is going another, right? Sometimes it's good to be in a 10% wild and free. <laughs> That's just a figure of speech. All right, so I just wanna make sure we're on the same page. Thank you, you guys, thank you. Um, so here we are, and you saw that for yourselves, Ephesians 1. Now read all of Romans 8, all of it. But we're gonna go to Romans 8 real quick. And we're gonna look at... Um, I'm going to read this so that, let's see, I'm going to read this from, I'm trying to decide whether I want to be long-winded and read the Amplified version, just because I like that version of this. I'm going to read from, um, yeah, we're going to start at verse five. 
and I'm going to read that. So just bear with me. Romans 8, verse 5. Um, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the, um, hold on, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I'm only reading this for context. I'm not teaching it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Oh, that's good. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not in you. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin but the spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we, that we may also be glorified together. This is important because those of us who are sitting here now, we're learning about God. I promise you, you're not here because um, you're bored and it's just something to do. You're here because you're in an authentic pursuit of Jesus. So for you, being called an orphan is ridiculous. Even in your brokenness. Are you following? Now, people who are not saved, people who are outside in the world, people who, that's different, right? That's a different type of understanding. They don't know that they belong to the Father. They don't know that Jesus is Lord of their lives. They have not entered the agreement. For them, God is waiting for them to recognize their sonship. He's waiting to finalize the adoption process by their agreement. Are we on the same page? Making sure you are not an orphan. Say it over and over and over again but you might be healing from the brokenness that came from the world system and hurt and pain that could have been amplified by other things you've experienced that caused you to one, feel alone and feel disconnected from God. But it does not make you an orphan. We've got to change that terminology. So I'm just going to look back at Romans 8 again, and I want you to go all the way down to, um, let's see, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, 
to verse 37. That's it. I want you to just read this. I'm going to read it in um, the, just, I'm going to read it randomly. It says the same thing in both of these translations, the New King James and in the Amplified. So I'm going to read it again in the Amplified. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I want you to hear that. We are more than conquerors. That's an affirmation that wherever you are and whatever you might be experiencing, whatever you might be going through, we're in an overcoming position. Once you say yes, you begin a greater process of overcoming. So all of your brokenness need to be, needs to be seen through the eye of an overcomer. overcomer. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to stop feeling like I've been abandoned. I'm going to st- I'm going to learn what it means to love God, but I am not an orphan. God said I'm not an orphan. You got an orphan spirit. The devil is a liar. I'm just using that terminology because it's fitting. I don't use that kind of terminology, but I am tonight. Because I want us to see that. Because when we are told we have an orphan spirit, what happens? We become condemned. We feel as if God has not done anything. We start feeling less than. It reinforces the negative instead of building up the positive. If you're in the conservator and you're a conservator, I'm begging you to erase that phrase from your vocabulary. Not the teachings, because some of those are good. But the language has to change. It has to change. Let's go back to Romans 8. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded. Listen, be persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In order for us to receive that we are orphans, we have to denounce everything that I just read. You have to literally say, this does not apply to me. Oh my goodness. It is exactly a word curse. It is exactly a word curse. Listen, y'all know I grew up in foster care. So if, if ever, and some of you have similar situations, you know, a lot of us have stories and lifelong, lifelong stories of rejection. Anybody going through something like that is gonna have a struggle with loving God. Anyone who's been through something horrible and you may have been the lone survivor of something and you're in shock that you survived. You may even suffer from survivor's regret, but it doesn't make you an orphan. Is this helping somebody? Is this helping? Absolutely. PTSD, thank you. Man, the burdens we heap on people. We got people walking around thinking something's wrong with them 
because they can't touch the love that God has for them. It's called healing. It's called having trust restored. It's called being made new. It's called being revived and speaking the dry bones. Oh my God, it's called love covers a multitude of sin. It's called everything but an orphan. If the words spoken over you as a believer are not giving life, it's a curse. And you can't agree with it. Listen, my mom, schizophrenic, depressing and schizophrenic all her life. She pushing a buggy loaded down with me behind her, walking up and down the street, picking up cans, digging through trash, people laughing. I mean, my God, homeless, mama bag lady, daddy MIA. We all have stuff. But the whole purpose of salvation is for all of those things to be reconciled in that oneness. But how dare you call me an orphan? And I just said yes to the Lord. Mm. Does the Bible teach the orphan spirit? No, the Bible does not. The Lord does not teach about orphan spirits. But he does teach about the hopelessness of being an orphan. He does show tremendous compassion about orphans. I want, I want to read something to you. Oh, I hadn't read this in a long time. You all know it. It's Ezekiel 16. The Lord just gave it to me. I'm going to read it. When I first began to get healed from everything, <laughs> um, when I, my mentor, my pastor, and um, Bev, Prophet Beverly, I'll never forget it. I wanted to, the first time I ever heard this scripture, nobody ever read it over me, much less read it to me. And, oh, I'm going to read it to you right now. But I'm going to read it from um, the end, the New King James Version of the Bible, Ezekiel 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to hear God's heart for you in this moment. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, calls Jerusalem. Let's see. No, we're going to skip that part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to skip that part. I don't want to read that part. But when you get a chance, read it. Well, no, I'll read it. I'll read it because it's context. Um, son of man, calls Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, thus saith the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped with swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, for you were thrown out into an open field when you were yourself loathed on the day that you were born. Listen to this description of an orphan. Because an orphan by definition is someone who has been abandoned by parents and caregivers alike and left to bleed and fend for themselves. 
We know that this passage of scripture is talking about a nation of people. <clears throat> we know that this um, chapter is also talking about um, people who have rebelled against God, like the people who've not received Jesus, the people who are still in the world. But I want you to hear in this passage the compassion that is here. Even for the people in the world, I want you to hear the compassion in this passage. This is God speaking. And God said, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. If that is not a picture of salvation and the growth process that we endure when we come from our wounded and desolate places, what is? That person has been rescued. They are no longer an orphan. But their mama left them. That's the natural realm. We've, we're adopted in a spiritual capacity. And we have to grow into understanding what that means. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. When the Lord tells us we're forgiven, he means it. I don't care how much you've gone through. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care about the secrets you're still holding. If you said yes, and if you believe him, he's working all these things out. You just need to believe him. Our quest is to believe him. It's not just going around, let's cast out that spirit of, of sorrow. Let's, let's cast out that, that whatever it is. There's a gazillion things people can call it, but I tell you, nothing can heal like the love of God. Nothing. Nothing, your worst thing you've ever done and you're here right now because you received his love. Oh my God. He said, listen, my, um, I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into covenant. Listen, we forget that one of the greatest oaths even in the old covenant I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that so many times, it ought to scare us. Listen, as my daughter said, mama, we should be shook. We just read from Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 37. Nor height, nor depth. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The problem that we face is believing that. See, all of this work in the kingdom is about believing God. 
It took me this long to believe what I just shared with you. Oh my God, if you guys could have seen me just 10 years ago, still feeling unworthy, unqualified. I can stand in front of anybody now, assured that he loves me. I can make a mistake right now, wake up guilty, repent. I would go, I wouldn't go to bed like that. I'm not talking about something crazy. I don't sleep if I even talk to people wrong. I have to get it right before I go to bed. I mean, that's, that's how I am. Some of my mentors in my life, they were like, listen, I'm trying to help you. I'm I've had to turn off what I, what instinctively is my cold running in the background of my life and resist the enemy of my soul and receive what the people in my life try to bring to me. That's hard. Oh my God, it's hard, but it's God. Oh, Jesus. Let's keep reading Ezekiel 16 real quick. He said, number nine, then I washed you, washed you in water. I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with an embroidered cloth and gave you sandals, badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour and honey and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty for it was perfect through my, sp my splendor which I bestowed upon you, says the Lord. That's the good part. And you can read on. Because even though he did all of that, people still turned away from his love. But he kept coming back for them. He kept coming back. He kept coming back. He kept coming back until they believed. See, that's what mercy and grace is about. Mercy and grace doesn't care. God is like, if you don't want me, I'm going to stand here anyway. And I'm always going to wait for you. One of the greatest lessons that I learned from my mentor, and I live by this today, she said, never throw people away. Let people leave you. Let them leave you because you can handle it. But if you leave them, they cannot. Authority that you have in a person's life, your response to them is of a greater torment to them than them what they do to you. I hope that makes sense. In our mature place, we, that doesn't mean let people abuse us. What I'm saying is, I won't be the reason for you to be deeper wounded. I will hang on on the friend, fringes until you say you don't want me anymore. That's what God does with us. And what's crazy about God is he still leaves our, his arms open. That's under Jesus now. That's if you're following Jesus. If you're following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob under that old covenant, you're going to be expecting the ground to break open every time you do something and swallow you up. That's why we got to kind of shake ourselves into the new covenant where everything we learned in the old covenant is pressed upon the greater anointing. 
which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest release today. Not Miriam, not Aaron, not Ezekiel, not Jeremiah, not Amos, not Agai, not, not Isaiah, whichever one, because there were five Isaiahs or more, not just one. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not, you know, listen, they were great, but they weren't Jesus. <laughs> they were not Jesus. There's no anointing in the old covenant that can even begin to match up with the release we get from Jesus Christ. Oh my God. So this concept of feeling abandoned is mentioned all through the scriptures. We see it all the time, all the time, for all the time. In the Old Testament, God commands the Israelites to care for the widows and orphans and reminds them, them that he himself is their defender and provider. Exodus 22, 22 to 24, Deuteronomy 10 and 18, Psalm 68 and 5. The prophet Isaiah also describes God as a father to the fatherless. Isaiah 64 and 8 and promises that he will never abandon his people. Never, ever, ever, ever. You know, the groupings of, of the issues of abandonment under this orphan spirit, you know, is, is detrimental. People, this is, these are definitions that I, I went through my own notes. That was hard, but I did. I had to dig out some papers. And I pulled out things that I was taught. And I know some of you who taught this, some of you who are leading groups, you understand. So this is what the, the terminology for orphan spirit classes all of these behaviors in a group. But I want you to know that you don't have to be an orphan to experience the things that I'm about to share with you now. This is further tearing apart the concept of an orphan spirit, feeling abandoned. Individuals may feel alone and unsupported as if they have been abandoned by their family and community. Lack of identity. Without a sense of belonging or a connection to others, individuals may struggle to define their own identity and purpose. Fear and insecurity. The sense of abandonment can lead to feelings of fear and insecurity as well as a constant need for validation and approval of others. Self-sufficiency. Individuals may try to rely solely on themselves for everything. They will not allow anyone to help them, feeling that they cannot trust others, they cannot trust others to help or support them. Negative self-talk. Um, a person in, with, that does this, it may lead individuals to negative self-talk such as telling themselves they're not good enough or nobody loves them, nobody wants them around, they do not deserve love, they do not deserve support. And they reinforce this by remembering their past and by remembering things that were spoken to them. I want you to see where love is absent, not where problems are causing them to be worse and to be bad and to be a problem and to be a, have an evil spirit that we need. How are you gonna cast out abandonment? How are you gonna cast out uh, a lack of identity? I mean, think about that. 
difficulty forming deep relationships. Without a model of healthy relationships, individuals may struggle to form deep, meaningful connections with other people. Lack of trust in authority figures. If authority figures such as parents or religious leaders have been absent or abusive, individuals with an orphan, with the, what they call an orphan spirit may have difficulty trusting those in power. I mean, if, you, if people have never given you a reason to trust and you've never experienced trust, guess what? Trust has to be built. It has to be restored. It has to be overcome. Only love can do that. Are you all following? Are you all following? Okay. So lack of sense of security. Individuals may struggle to feel secure in their relationships or their environment, leading to extreme anxiety and fear. The closer you try to get to them, the more anxiety they have. Oh my goodness. This is a big one. Difficulty trusting God. If the individual also struggles to trust God, they may feel even more isolated and disconnected from a sense of purpose and support in life. Because not only can they not trust people, but they don't trust that God really has their back. They will equate calamity and struggle with the absence of God. Are you following? All right, so shame and guilt, they can, it can lead to a sense of shame and guilt over past mistakes or experiences, causing the individual to feel unworthy of love and acceptance. They will have difficulty receiving love. Individuals that are suffering from brokenness may struggle to receive love or kindness from others, even when they need it feeling that they do not deserve it or that it will be taken away from them or even worse, that you're gonna want something in return. They don't want to be indebted. This is all brokenness. This is all brokenness. Perfectionism. Oh my goodness, it can drive people to strive for perfection in an attempt to gain acceptance and belonging. And often a lot of these behaviors and things that I'm describing, most people don't even realize they're operating in them. They're all subconscious. Difficulty expressing emotion. Without a model for healthy emotional expression, individuals will struggle to identify and communicate their emotions with others. One of the biggest lies that people will say is this is just how I am. I've always been like this. This is how God made me. God did not do that. Brokenness did. Trauma did. Tragedy did. God didn't make us like that. Right? And the sad part about it is the older we get, the harder it is to deal with these issues. I'm, I'm sorry to be a, a, a rock in a hard place. But if you let people, people escape healing, it's hard to break through in this area when they get of a certain age. I'll say when people start approaching 45 and up, 
it becomes like a like an acme block and wiley coyote y'all probably don't even know what that is <laughs> the cartoon from the 70s <laughs> so anyway um lack of boundaries this is a huge one individuals struggling in this area feeling the fatherlessness may struggle to establish healthy boundaries and relationships leading to a cycle of codependency and unhealthy attachment is where my teaching on enmeshment comes in when i was in, a, in the group home when i left listen i was a, i was i left when i was 18 to go to college i had this young lady that well i'm not even going to talk about that i'll just say that everybody had the college they wanted to go to i let everybody believe we were going to the same college while i was accepted in one thousands of miles away from them I went to a college that none of them were in because the bonding that we had was crippling to me. And I didn't even know Jesus, but I knew I didn't want to go to college with them folks. And sometimes we have to make decisions like that. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It means that you are so toxic that I'm going to bond to you because we, you know, it's like a, a pack of wolves. There was always one person that ruled the whole clique of us and the group home. And none of us had a voice because they spoke for us. So I had to get out of that environment. It's, it was an enmeshment, which is a whole teaching by itself. I won't even go there tonight, but I encourage you to listen to what I posted inside the Scribal Prophets Group, because what happens is when we are broken, we identify mostly with people who are in our same mindset. And we run from the people that are not in that space that can really help us. So we're being nurtured by wolves. I'm just using that as a terminology. Just as a terminology, not as a naming. We're not misnaming people by calling them orphans because Jesus alone has the final say on that. Self-reliance. So self-reliance is, is what can lead individuals to rely solely on their own strength and resources rather than seeking help and support from others. You can look this up anywhere. I don't have any special revelation tonight. This is common knowledge common knowledge so listen these are the things that i was taught that the, that the deliverance ministries don't really teach they didn't when i was involved i don't know about now i don't know about now but um i was taught that this is what instead of telling me that i had an orphan spirit i was told teresa you have no sense of self let me help you develop a sense of self what is a sense of self? This was drilled into me for eight years until one day within the fifth or sixth year, I finally got it. A sense of self is the way we see ourselves as individuals and what we think about ourselves as our personal identity. I thought I was unworthy, unacceptable, 
I thought I was behind. I thought that everybody was better than me. I thought that people only wanted to use me. I was always looking for the ball to drop in any good relationship I had. I was always waiting for somebody to abandon me. I was just the mindset of an orphan, but it's not an orphan spirit. God comes to rescue the orphan. So why are we in the church telling people they still orphans? Why? Wounding them even more. Having them hop from one prophet to the next, trying to figure out how to be free. And the only way to be free is to enter the love of God. That's the only way. And unfortunately, that comes through people many times. It comes through regaining a sense of trust. Oh my goodness. That in a thought life fights the, the um, sense of self. Look it up. Well, I don't know if you'll find anything good on, on social media about that, but if you all know how to do real good research, just look up sense of self. Then I was taught about the true self. Oh my God, the true self. This is the concept that refers to a person's innermost and authentic sense of identity, free from external pressures or expectation. I'm living in my true self. I absolutely don't care what anybody thinks about me in my righteous, holy place. I do care what the people I lead think because I'm supposed to be their example. But I don't care what people think when it comes to me teaching things like this. Are you following me? Oh my goodness. I'm gonna share a little nugget with you. When we start, when we see people in ministries that, that come in and they start learning in their hairstyle starts looking like the pastor, they start dressing like the pastor, they start preaching exactly like the pastor. They start talking. Don't laugh at those people. They lack identity. And everywhere they go, they will morph into the person they admire. It's not a spirit. Isn't that what children do? Mimic big sisters when they don't know who they want to be? Mimic aunties and cousins. Grown folks do that when they don't know who they are. When they don't have a sense of self. People always say to me, wow, you don't let people get close. That's because I see where you're at. And I cannot afford to have you enmesh yourself to me and take God's place in your identity. That's a good word, changeling. So um, this is not a critical point. I'm just sharing with you what you're really seeing. I'm not talking about what God showed in a dream. This is practical. Practical. When people don't have an identity and they elevate people above themselves, they end up becoming that person. 
It, it, you know, that's what happens. Look around. Some of you have probably been that person. I was trying to be a prophet. Like, listen, I sat under this prophet that was so mean. I heard God, but I prophesied mean just like her. Moved like her, screamed like her until I started getting healed. And the sense of self started coming. My true self started emerging. If you find people that are with me and like me, they are their own person, I promise you. You won't find a Teresa clone in any environment that I am in. There's a hard lesson that comes from this kind of stuff. Oh my God, the true self, the true self. The concept of the true self refers to a person's innermost and authentic sense of self, free from external pressures or expectations of people or systems or cliques or environments. It is often contrasted with the false self. We know the mask very well. It's the opposite of wearing the mask. We don't suppose, we're not supposed to adopt personalities. It's sad seeing 50 year old people who are nothing but clones because they never developed a sense of self. They never developed or were allowed to develop their true self. But in order to discuss those two, I have to go deeper into enmeshment and we won't do that tonight. This is why we have to be healed because systems and institutions tend to push cloning. Don't be mad at the people. If you're in a system or an institution, you think you're doing what's right. You don't realize what's wrong until you're taught different until you're open to doing it differently. When I was in the system, I did what the system did. I wasn't a bad person. I didn't mean to be cruel, but that environment, that system was like that and I accepted it and I submitted to it. And it was that way because that's what I submitted myself to. I had to forgive myself for the stuff I did when I was in that system because I didn't know any better. This is why I always like telling you, we can't be mad at people for how they lead if they do not know anything differently and if they have not been exposed to a better way. That's why you don't see me writing all this stuff on Facebook, why? Ain't nobody gonna understand what I'm talking about. It's just going to start a feud of back and forth scripture and a whole confusion. That's why Jesus went away with the three and why he dealt with the 12. Then he had his public messages, right? I refuse to succumb to an attempt to be popular by putting things out that will only make it worse. Because if I were to teach this at a deliverance conference, they would find a way to put it inside all of those teachings and make it a bigger mess than it already is. Am I kidding? 
No, instead of taking it for what it is, it would be put in something else and made into a larger mess. Why give people information and intel they're not mature enough to handle? That's why we take the steps we do. Y'all good? Okay, here we are at the end. So the true self is sometimes described as a deeper, more essential aspect of the person that is not easily changed or influenced by external circumstances. It is believed to represent a core of identity that remains stable and constant over time, no matter what comes. No matter what happens when you're in your true self, your true self doesn't change. I'm still me, no matter what my circumstances are. And so our relationship with Jesus, that place of maturity, that place of learning to love him and getting over all of the hangups and moving forward and allowing him to heal us brings us into our true selves, our true identity. I don't care what you say. I know Jesus is the only way to heaven. I know what I did yesterday, but I know I'm saved and I know that I'm forgiven and I know that that will never happen again. Yeah, cause, but I didn't have any control over myself in that moment. I repented. God has forgiven me. You will never see this again because I've risen above it. Every day I'm growing deeper in trusting. Every day I'm going further in loving. Every day I'm believing that God is going to love me more and that I'm going to know he loves me no matter what happens. Oh my God, my children are running amok. They're everywhere. They're doing everything. Oh God, what does this mean about me? It means nothing about you. It means your children are grown and they need to make their decisions before me. You're not responsible for that. Are you guys following me? Are you hearing what I believe the Lord is sharing with us tonight? If you found yourself in abandonment and lack of identity and fear and security and self-sufficiency and negative talk and difficulty forming relationships and lack of trust and authority figures and difficulty trusting God, seeing him as father, lack of a sense of security, shame, you need to know that the only thing taking place is God is working to perfect his love in you, but you are not an orphan. Never let people put that name on you again. You might be acting like one, but he's not telling you you are. Get every scripture you can. If you have the scribal anointing book, I have a whole chart in there on your identity in Christ. Print that thing out, or, or if you have the ebook, or um, take a photo and put that wherever you need it. Find lists of identity scriptures. Listen, I had to get, I couldn't even sometimes get the word out of my mouth that I was worthy. But I had, I one day I got enough guts to record it on a cassette tape. Yes, I did. And put it in a cassette tape in my car on the way to work every day. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Now, that's all I can handle. God loves me. I couldn't even get to king and priest. That was too much. 
But let me tell you, it's people say, oh, you need to lose weight. Well, you need to lose your mind for Jesus. If you can take your behind to work out every day, if you can prep them meals, you can prep your mind. The scripture tells us that physical exercise is wonderful. But listen, it's more profitable. Listen to this to get your mind right. Because once your mind gets right, all the other things you struggle with will eventually fall in place. We got it backwards. Man, one day when we're together in person, I will tell you some battles that I've had in my own life with my own mentor. And she has to bring it to, to she said, there you go again, you gotta trust. You gotta trust, you operating out of that place where you don't trust. We will be battling this forever. The idea is, in some of us, the idea is to be better than you were five minutes ago, right? So Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord God. We pray for those that are here, that Lord are listening to this teaching. Father, we just reject any inclination, any curses spoken over us about being orphans. Why, God? Because you do not agree with that. Those who belong to you have been adopted into the kingdom. There are too many scriptures about being found, about being helped, about being loved into our true selves. Father, there's too much work that you have put in for us to buy into people, even unintentionally telling us that we have an orphan spirit. If there's a stronghold, the vice is on unbelief. And Father, we decree and declare that we will believe you because that is the catalyst to breaking the strongholds, Lord, that cause us to be in these areas of lack in our lives, abandoned places, lacking identity, places of fear and insecurity, mistrust, unusual self-sufficiency, negative self-talk, difficulty forming deep relationships, lack of trust and authority figures, difficulty trusting you as father, trusting your son as Lord. Father, the shame, the guilt, the difficulty of receiving love, perfectionism, difficulty of expressing emotions, lack of boundaries, self-reliance, and inability to achieve sense of self, inability to find and identify the true self. Father, I thank you that love is the answer, not more condemnation. Father, I thank you for showing us the work that we have to do. It's not just recounting all the suffering we've ever been through, all the trauma. Father, you know all of those things. We need to give those things to you and begin trying to live in a place of reckoning it done. We learned from the woman at the well on Sunday that she didn't need to count off every man she ever slept with. We learned from the woman at the well that she didn't have to dig up every horrible thing that happened. She needed to believe you. This doesn't mean we don't need to talk. It doesn't mean we don't need to speak things out and deal with things, but it does mean that there is an action that is required for us to believe God. This journey to fullness, this journey, oh my God, to wholeness, Lord, it's all about belief. Can we believe that your word 
is true concerning us in Jesus name. God, I believe you and that is enough. I believe that I'm worthy. I believe I was born for a purpose. Lord, I'm not gonna be thinking about killing myself anymore. Lord, I really don't wanna take my life. I just wanna be loved and accepted. How can that happen, God? And Lord, help me to see love all around me. Maybe that thought that I am unloved is in my head and in my mind. Maybe that's a picture being painted by imaginations that I'm exalting above you. I need to see truth because if, if no one loves me, but I, I need to know that you do. Lord, I want an encounter because rivers of living water are on the inside of me. How can I claim that I'm saved if I'm rejecting living water? I'm, eject, I'm rejecting the revelation of who you are in me. I'm rejecting the revelation of what you desire for me. And it's not perfection. It's my brokenness in your hand. Father, I pray that we can trust you tonight. I pray that we can be honest about who we are. I pray, Father, that you have people that are more advanced in understanding the love of God that we can come to, that we can sit a while with, that we can get affirmation, where they're not nitpicking all the devils that I have. Those are not devils, God. They're false belief systems that I'm still working out from all of the horrible things that have happened. And I thank you, Lord, that you understand that. And Lord, I know that I could have let some other things that are different from that in through the door, but one thing at a time, you are a patient God. You are patient and you are kind and you are loving and you are a gentleman and you do not heap shame, contempt or condemnation upon your people. Father, I declare we are changing our language today. We don't have to go out and preach people and tell everybody else to change their language. But we're, we're, we're changing our language because we have a different heart and a different mind. And we're understanding you anew. Help me, God, be better than I was five minutes ago in understanding who you are in me. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.